What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. As many of you can see, we are live right now on Facebook and Twitter with Paul Oren from the Northwest Indiana Times. He is a great man. He taught me at Valparaiso University uh, not too long ago, but starting to, the years are adding up these days, Paul. And uh, <laughs> he's also, uh, he writes at the Northwest Indiana Times. And he's got a podcast called Union Street Hoops. I went on it a few months ago. Paul, you were on here. It was about it was about two months ago. We got the sports movie bracket up and rolling, and we have the championship going on right now. Uh, how are you doing, by the way? I'm doing great. You know, um, you know. Full disclosure, we'll get into it. I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, so uh, <laughs> you know, the sun came out today. I'm not sure how. Um, but it came out and I uh, know I'm doing well. Uh, remind me who made the championship of the sports movie bracket. Uh, remember the Titans, which you had losing in uh, round one and yeah, ha- yeah. happy Gilmore. Okay. All right. Well, uh, happy Gilmore is more historically accurate than remember the Titans. <laughs> Let's be clear. The events of the Waterbury open are far more plausible than what they cooked up and remember the Titans. <laughs> remember the Titans is a great film. Don't get me wrong. It's just one of the most historically inaccurate films ever that gets kind of uh, patterned after that gets the kind of viewed as being accurate, you know. And um, so the Waterbury Open is uh, is far more historically accurate. And so the shot that Happy made with the TV <laughs> power and all of that is uh, is sadly more <laughs> accurate than the Titans. That's why I had to remember the Titans losing in the first round. Great film, but it's so great that people believe that it actually happened, whereas <laughs> much of that stuff was uh, um, yeah. not accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Although so- Sunshine Ronnie Bass did have great hair, both in the person and in, in the film. Yeah, that is very true. He did. That's very I true. I see so- you growing yours a little bit. You're going to get. You keep going. It's going to be sunshine, Ronnie. Back. I, like I had I had a sunshine cut when I was like maybe eighteen or nineteen years old. It was really long, and then uh, it just you know your your hair doesn't grow the same way it, as it does as you get older. Unfortunately, yeah, I'll say that. <laughs> but uh, you are so properly framed in this shot, and I'm just like I have a new camera on my computer, so I'm trying to figure out how to properly frame myself that doesn't involve me hovering over my chair so <laughs> trying to, but if I, I come in too close then it's like yeah. you can see my drew breeze mark right here and um it is what it is <laughs> well as you figure that out we got some announcements here coming up on the podcast later this week we have a couple of uh, great guests uh joining me as i had teased in the past weeks that we were going to have a big time guest i can now reveal who that is it is stephanie lagrosa kendrick from survivor Palau, Survivor Guatemala, Survivor Heroes versus Villains. She's also the wife of Phillies pitcher Kyle Kendrick on the 2008 World Series Championship team. She'll be joining me on Thursday, so make sure you guys are subscribed and you don't miss that. And uh, one of your favorite players from the old uh, Florida Marlins, Arrestus Destrade, returning to the show once again on Friday, P.O. I am just honored to be on in the same week as Mr. Destrada. Uh, again, I, I, I think I said this one of the last times I was on the show. Um, the first Florida Marlins game ever was the same day that Chris Weber called timeout against North Carolina in the national championship game. Um, and uh, yeah, I have the original Marlins game on VHS. 
But the first one, you still have that. I still have the VHS complete with commercials and all. I think we should we should send that in and get the big O to sign it. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I think is Jeff Conine, who is also on that team. I think his son, Griffin, I think it is, is now a prospect for the Marlins. Um, Yeah, I I could I could talk 1993 Marlins (laughs) all day long. you know who is another uh, former player's son is a prospect right now? There's another one. Uh, Rafael Palmero's son is in AAA in Baltimore system. I covered, I think, one of the last games that Rafi played. It was with it was against the Gary Railcats. Wow. Rafi and his one of his other sons were on that team. And um, I will also say, and and, and I'll I'll end my Rafi with this, is that I'm a big sports card guy, and I just pulled a 5 out of 10 Rafi Palmero autograph card. Um, I forget what set I got it from, but it was like two months ago. I was like opening up the pack, and, and the autograph cards are turned backward when you go through the pack of cards. And I'm like, oh, this one that's turned backward, this is going to be a really nice card. And it's Rafi Palmero autograph, uh, autograph card, five of 10, only 10 mm-hmm. cards in the world made like this. And uh, I've got one. So that and uh, a ticket to Cooperstown will get me into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I was a bigger collector back in the day, but we'll have to talk cards another time. Uh, I will start us here before we go all things football. It was week one of NFL, week two of college, and we're going to recap what happened this weekend. I want to know, P.O., how was your weekend? Do you have a good weekend? Yeah, uh, you know, it was um, I covered a high school football game Friday night, which was pretty entertaining. Uh, Popcorn Fest in Valparaiso, Indiana. It's making the national news right now maybe not for the best reasons oh. but it's making national news so uh popcorn fest was good and then uh saturday night i went and saw the comedian doug stanhope um and so uh yeah good good week and then yesterday i laid on the couch all day and uh <laughs> at halftime when i realized things were going poorly i i had my green aaron Rodgers jersey on and then i went upstairs and i put the black aaron Rodgers jersey on because when you go to a funeral you should dress for it and uh <laughs> And that's what it, it was. So the last dance got started off with two left feet for Green Bay. Uh, <laughs> but remember, remember, the Bulls lost their first game of the last dance season as well. So there is uh, room to grow. Many. There's a lot of room to grow. Uh, I also had a good weekend. I went to Chris Bryant's return game at Wrigley on Friday and I have a little bit of an unpopular preference, but I actually think it's more fun to go to Cubs games when they're not good. Because oh, absolutely. absolutely. There's no yeah. expectation. You just enjoy, you know, I, I just bought, I just put down a deposit on a 20 pack for next year for the Brewers so I can get access to all the playoff games. And Jack, let me tell you, I'm going to go to the playoff games and I'm going to be miserable for every pitch because my heart rate is going to go through the roof. You just get to sit there with ketchup on a hot dog and enjoy Wrigley and not have to worry about it. And if Bryant hits a grand slam, good. If not, whatever. And then you get to appreciate the greatness that is Frank Schwindel, who is going to win me my fantasy baseball league because I had the uh, the smarts to pick him up. So Frank is uh, Frank the Tank, I think is his, maybe yep. his nickname. He's phenomenal. So get to go there, watch the kids play, and have a great time. Tickets are much easier to get. It's a lot cheaper. It's cheap. It's less crowded on the train as we're trying to not be in too crowded spaces these days. Uh, and then the other thing is just the fact that 
There are no bandwagon fans of the game anymore. Like these are baseball people. The people who are at the games now are real Cubs fans. They're not. And obviously there's always going to be the Wrigley attraction of like, yeah, you want to go to Wrigley. You want to have a good time. And not everyone goes to Wrigley for the baseball. We'll just say that. But the, I went to one playoff game back in 15 and I was in a section with these people that just they were the work company gave them the tickets. They weren't real fans. It wasn't fun at all. Like you said, the pressure in a playoff game. So uh, I would say recommendation, whether you're a Cubs fan, not a Cubs fan. If you're from out of town, and you've always wanted to go see Wrigley next year is the year to do it because the ticket prices are going to be very, very cheap compared to what they were these last few years. And it's like it's the cathedral of baseball, at least in the Midwest. So got to get to a game there. I haven't been to Wrigley since the uh, nearly since COVID. You know, I mean, I, I've been to uh, been to the, the two New York stadiums in Philadelphia, but I have not gone to a game in Milwaukee yet either. Um, and now I'm just kind of holding out to go till when they play the Phillies or Braves or whoever they play in the, the first round of the playoffs. So. Good stuff. I was, I will say one more Milwaukee area thing. I, w- I went to cops a week ago today. Oh, yes. Yes. It's, a, it's a favorite of mine. I go there now, like whenever I'm in Milwaukee, if I'm, we were up in Eagle River for Labor Day okay. and I've, I made my mom and my sister stop at cops with me. Yeah. And they were very yeah. happy that we did. I mean, the burgers are great. The custard, everything is I'm, because I'm contractually obligated to stay on the show for at least an hour, I'm not going to leave you right now but if i were i'd get in my car and drive straight to <laughs> just the thought of that burger right now has got me uh wanting to hop in a car and, and brave the dan ryan and get up to cops all right well let's dive into these nfl games um and i wouldn't i wouldn't blame you if you did if you put me on your cell phone and you just were driving <laughs> while you talked to me I, I no no i'm good i'm good <laughs> Uh, our NFL games. I'm gonna run through the scores, and then I'm gonna get. I'm gonna let you go wherever you want with this, Paul. Yeah. So here's what we got: Arizona Cardinals march into Tennessee. They win big, 38-13. The Houston Texans, led by Tyrod Taylor, pick up a win, 37-21 against Urban Meyer's Jacksonville Jaguars. The Los Angeles Chargers won their first game on the road in Washington against the football team. Taylor Heineke got in there after Ryan Fitzpatrick got hurt. We have the Cincinnati Bengals pulling off an overtime thriller over the Minnesota Vikings, 27-24. Sam Darnold goes and he, well, at home now in Carolina, he beats his former team, the New York Jets, 19-14. Jalen Hurts tossed three touchdown passes as the Philadelphia Eagles routed the Atlanta Falcons in a battle of the birds, 32 to six, the my Pittsburgh Steelers. When uh, they came back, they were down ten nothing. They're down ten points. End up winning that game, twenty three sixteen, at the Buffalo Bills. Honestly, probably the worst game I've seen Josh Allen play in a few years. Seattle Seahawks go into Indianapolis. They win twenty eight sixteen. San Francisco 49ers, A lot of points at the Detroit Lions. They win that game in Detroit, forty one thirty three. Kansas City Chiefs uh, came back. I believe they were down. I don't know how much, but they beat the Cleveland Browns 33-29. Denver Broncos go into New York Giants. Probably the most shocking outcome for me this weekend. 27-13 Broncos win that game. The New Orleans Saints. New Orleans Saints, Paul. Uh, they n- Not a good game for your Packers. 38-3. We'll talk plenty of that in a second, I'm sure. 
Uh, Tua Tungavailoa wins his first game of the season. A lot of questions about Tua in the offseason. And Mac Jones, his former teammate on the other side for the New England Patriots. Dolphins win that game in New England 17-16. The Los Angeles Rams last night, Matthew Stafford, issued the beatdown on the Chicago Bears 34-14. And then on our Thursday night game, we got the return of Dak after no preseason games and kind of a disappointing performance from Dak on uh, on hard knocks this year. But the uh, he, he played very well in that game. Tampa Bay did, however, win at home 31-29. We got the Monday night football game, the Baltimore Ravens at the Las Vegas Raiders. That's our NFL rundown for the week, Paul. Yeah, so we can we can go a number of different directions in this. I I was just kind of thinking about maybe giving you some of my winners and losers of perfect. The, um, and I'm just gonna go kind of. I'm, I've got the scores pulled up, so it's in no real particular order. Um, so I'm just gonna look at a game and just give you some thoughts that I have, and then we of course we can spin off of that. But that sounds uh, perfect to me. The first game that I was paying attention to was the Eagles and Falcons game, and Matty Ice came out throwing the ball all across the yard on the first drive, hitting Calvin Ridley a couple times. Uh, they hit pits early on for like a 14, 15-yarder, uh, handed the ball to Mike Davis, and then he thought, man, they, they, they're looking good. They had to settle for a field goal, and, uh, and then I don't think they played the rest of the game. Their, their, their offense was terrible. So that was a loser. That well, the, the loser of that game to me was – um, you know, I, Jack, I'm sorry. I do listen to some of your competition. So I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast the other day <laughs> and Bill Simmons is touting Kyle Pitts as this generational talent, which I think he might be. I mean, he's really good. Don't get me wrong. But this idea that he was, and, and Bill Simmons said on the podcast, he's like, what if he comes in and he's Travis Kelsey already? Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in football right now. And if you don't know that, uh, I would point to the Chiefs-Browns game yesterday where, I mean, the Browns knew who they were going to throw to, and they still threw to Kelsey. Um, Pitts will get there. He's just not there yet. The winner out of that game was anybody who had the uh, the audacity – I don't know if audacity is the right word, but we'll use it – to roll with Jalen Hurts as their fantasy quarterback based on a four-game sample size from the end of last year. The four games that he started at the end of last year, this guy was amazing. And I think it kind of got lost in the shuffle. You know, we're, we're, we're looking at all the, the new quarterbacks and what's Burrow going to do on the way back that uh, we just, and what Stafford going to do and golf going to do in their new settings and all of that. And to me, Jalen hurts is, is excellent. And I think that he can be for them, what Michael Vick was a dozen years ago that you didn't really know what you had. And all of a sudden, you have a game-changing quarterback. I think he can be excellent. His connection with Devonta Smith, it was a great play. They need to figure out their run game a little bit. But Jalen Hurts was a big winner coming out of week one for me, Jack. Yeah, I didn't get to see any of that game at all, but I do like Hurts. I actually like all three of those Alabama quarterbacks. I feel like all of them have been kind of, I don't know if I call underrated, under the radar, dogged on in Tua's case. I think all three of those guys, we haven't really seen a whole lot of football out of them quite yet. Mac Jones, that was his first game yesterday. But I, I thought all three of those guys looked very good in college and uh, not so, honestly not shocked to see Hurts having the success. Uh, the other one that I think is interesting, you mentioned on Atlanta side, just a note here, 
um, as a huge college football fan. I think a lot of people might not know this, but Florida, both of Florida's quarterbacks last year are on NFL rosters. Kyle Trask is now the backup in Tampa. And Felipe Franks, the other quarterback who got a lot of run, he made the team uh, with the Atlanta Falcons as the backup to Matt Ryan as an undrafted free agent. So pretty cool story. Yeah. And Florida's got two quarterbacks again this year, and they're going to need both of them and probably Trask and Tebow and Franks if they're going to have a chance to beat Alabama this week. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. So I have a really kind of stepping away from the rules that I just set forth about winning for each game. I want to give a blanket winner to juggernaut teams that we forgot about that Mm. reminded us that they're still juggernaut teams. Mm. The New Orleans Saints. Yeah. The Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes. The Seattle Seahawks. These three teams, and you can maybe throw the Rams in there, although the Rams were, it was a pretty easy win for them. And it's a new look Rams team. It's It's a new look Rams. So it's different. But like, but granted, Jameis Winston is was not Drew Brees, but Sean Payton is still there. And Kamara and the threat of Kamara are still there. Because Kamara didn't have a great game yesterday, but the threat of Kamara had a great game. So the Saints, everyone's panicking about the Green Bay Packers. I understand it. And look, they looked awful. They're the biggest loser of the week to me. They they looked awful. That said, did we forget that the New Orleans Saints are pretty good? Like They've always been really good, and we just kind of wrote them off. And people were thinking, oh, Green Bay is going to win this game easily. But the Saints were are pretty good. Uh, the Steelers, yes, I know the Bills are everyone's juicy pick to go to the Super Bowl and all that. But the Steelers are – I mean, last time I checked, they still have one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the NFL, and they still have a receiving core that has an embarrassment of riches. The fact that James Washington – is like the number four receiver on that team. That guy should be a starter for everybody. Um, and then they go and they add like another just prototypical Pittsburgh tight end in Friermuth. They're going to be excellent. And then you add the best running back in the draft. They're always good on defense. The Steelers are going to be fine. And I feel they, good. I love they that. They held the Bills to 10 points in the first half on the road. And then they got their offense cooking. And then you look at Seattle, you know, going into the Colts. I know it's a road game. I know they got to fly a long way. But the fact that they were only favored, they were favored by a point and a half before the Wentz COVID stuff came out. And I think the line got all the way to three. But that's Russell Wilson over there. You know, like he's pretty good. And Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are are pretty good. And then Tyler Lockett is Antonio Brown light. Yeah. And he's their number two. So uh this the big winners for me were that we wrote off the Seahawks we I don't know wrote off but like okay the Steelers started off last year 12 and 0 or 11 and 0 I think and then they just limped their way out of it but they're still really good everyone's oh the Ravens are going to be great or the Browns are going to be great um the Steelers are going to have a lot to say about that division which could get three playoff teams coming out of it so to me big winner was uh was all these kind of teams that that, you know, obviously we point to the Chiefs, we point to Tampa Bay, but let's not forget that these other teams are really, really good. Yeah, those are some good points, Paul. I think that most people had Seattle making the playoffs, and we know that they're a great regular season team. The last four years, they've won one playoff game. So it's, it's, how is that going to translate in the postseason? 
But, I mean, they picked up right where they left off for the last couple of years in the regular season. And on the flip side of things, I think Indianapolis isn't going to be very good this year. Well, you know, it hurts that they don't have T.Y. Hilton because now you're, you're, you're again, this is where, like, my reality and fantasy interests conflict. <laughs> because I'm very excited about Michael Pittman. I think he can be excellent for them given – the you know the the more targets that he's going to get and all of that but you take out ty hilton um you know you've got i mean quentin nelson's one of the best offensive linemen in the league but he's the guy that had to battle through some covid stuff and 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 do we i mean is carson wentz are we sure carson wentz is a good football player i, I in I, the I year 2021 that's my question in yeah 2021 we saw what he did in 17 those four years ago was a, there are a lot of hits later four years later he hangs on to the ball a little too long. He's like, he's a great human being. He's someone that I always want to root for, but I don't have confidence in Carson Wentz in the year 2021. Carson Wentz is like hard knocks to me. Like, are we sure that hard knocks is a good TV show? <laughs> it used to be. We used to really like it. It used to be great. Carson Wentz was the MVP in 2017 until he tore his ACL. It was ACL, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, he was unreal that year. And he has not been since then. And then he got it, he gets hurt. And obviously he's got to watch Nick Foles win the Super Bowl with his team. Um, yeah, I don't the Colts are the Colts need to go develop their own quarterback as opposed to getting the also rans from the Patriots, the Chargers, and the Eagles, which is what they've done the last three years, because they have one of the top five to seven running backs in the league in Jonathan Taylor. They've had excellent offensive line. They have, I mean, Darius Leonard's amazing on defense. They have a good defense, you know, but um, yeah, they were, they were who I thought they were. They, they didn't pose much of a threat to the Seahawks despite being at home. And uh, I was not shocked that it was 21 to 10 at the half. I just, uh, to me, just felt like um, it was the easy, that was the easiest predictable game of the week, how that was going to go. Yeah. Russell Wilson is an excellent player who probably had a bit of a down year last year. Uh, he's going to be just fine this year. Um, yeah. I think the thing I was going to say on uh, that, what you're talking about with the Colts and their quarterback, it's like they've been shopping in the bargain bin. They should have just gone all in and gotten Stafford. If they went in and got Stafford, he was that. I think Stafford is a top 10, maybe top five type talent at, at the quarterback position in this league. I think a lot of people are going to get to see that. We'll talk about the Rams in a second, but uh, I think they just picked up the wrong guy. I think Carson Wentz is, he's a guy like for the Carolina Panthers to pick up where they're going and they're getting Sam Darnold and you get picking up, kick the tires on the guy when you're rebuilding team. The Colts made the playoffs last year. They should be swinging that for the fences and going after a big time guy like Stafford. Yeah. Carson Wentz on the Colts is like when you settle for the lame homecoming date, like if you're a guy or a girl and you, <laughs> You're just like, oh, hey, this person doesn't have a date. I don't have a date. Let's let's get together. And then you end up at Red Lobster and you realize that I don't want to be like seafood. It's just, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's not the best thing. I, no <laughs> um, I know that you're a Steelers fan, so I'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Buffalo Bills. I think they're going to be fine. I think Josh Allen, um, I, look, the Steelers are really good. And that was a tough test for the Buffalo Bills. And the Bills and the Packers, who I – an hour before the NFL season started uh, on Sunday, I don't talk about the Thursday game. I tweeted out, I think it'll be the Bills and the Packers in the Super Bowl, and I still think it'll be the Bills and the Packers in the Super Bowl. But I think the Bills and the Packers both read their press clippings, 
I think they both they both realized how much everyone thinks they're going to be great. And so while they do have something to prove to live up to that, they the hype machine is around them. The Chiefs, on the other hand, they have intrinsic motivation right now or internal motivation because they lost the last game of the year. That, and so they're going to be – I mean, you awoke a sleeping giant when you beat Pat Holmes in the Super Bowl. They're going to be excellent, and they were. And we'll get to them in a little bit. But the Bills, I think, are going to be fine. They got a. I love the Emmanuel Sanders pickup for them. You have to target Stephon Diggs more. Now, granted, Pittsburgh has something to do with that, but you have to get Diggs more involved. And I think that their running game, you have to have the threat of a running game. And Moss and Singletary, I'm just not sure are are it right now. But they're going to be they're going to be good. They're going to be fine. This will be a small hiccup for them. Um, and I, I don't. I mean, the Dolphins and Patriots played each other and they scored 33 combined points. The Bills are going to be just fine in that division. And and Zach Wilson is not exactly uh, Broadway Joe Namath. So, uh, the Bills will be just fine. They're going to make the playoffs easily and uh, and they, they should be good. Yeah, I like the Bills too. I, I think it's really easy to have an overreactionary take. And I got no real... My my one takeaway is that I feel a lot better about the Steelers because I heard to her hear the whole offseason, oh, your team's done. This is a rebuilding year. And it's like I, I didn't buy into that, but I did think, hey, maybe they're just a wild card team. Maybe they're not a division winner. And after I see that game in Buffalo, if you keep this team healthy, this team's a contender. Well, especially you consider Baltimore, who we'll see later on tonight. They've got their top cornerback is out for the year. Three running backs are out. We still don't know if Lamar Jackson can throw the ball, so not having your top three running backs is probably an issue. I still think Baltimore is going to be good because they've got arguably one of the best coaches in the league and one of the top talented players out there, um, so they should be good. Uh, speaking of talented players, yes, one who got, got an unfair – maybe not unfair, maybe it was warranted uh, – a buzz about him, Jamar Chase. Ooh, yes. He was a winner. Oh, uh, yeah. As was Joe. Big Burr. loser, big loser, Mike Florio. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I very, I did very much enjoy that Jamar Chase is bad at football because they took the white stripes off the football story. That was, <laughs> and, and maybe the quote was a little too nuanced, but Jamar Chase coming out and saying, um, you know, the ball is bigger and they took the white stripes off of it like they had in college. You did opt out last year. Maybe you should have played catch with some people with an NFL football. But, man, it, it just goes to show the preseason doesn't, you know, we, we, we live and die because we're so football starved. We live and die with everything we see. Like, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, a, a guy fumbles the ball in the preseason. All of a sudden, he's, he's hit with that forever. And um, uh, Jamar Chase dropped a couple passes, and all of a sudden now he's he's a bust. He was yeah. picked number five for a reason, and he showed it. He caught a 50-yard touchdown pass, drop in the bucket. It was amazing. And, you know, the, uh, I'm, I, I think the loser of the Vikings-Bengals game was the American people because <laughs> this game went to overtime, and that kept us from watching the beginning of the Packers-Saints game. And obviously – when given the option to watch a Minnesota Vikings game or 
big boy football like the Saints and Packers, we would all take the Saints and Packers. Um, and the fact that we had to be stuck without plexiglass to watch Kirk Cousins <laughs> was uh, was pretty miserable. Hey, now I like Kirk Cousins. I think he's better than he gets credit for. <laughs> Good, good. I want to be in every fantasy league that you're in. <laughs> no, it, look, he's going to be fine there. Again, Thielen is another guy, you know, kind of like the the teams we talk about that got overlooked. They're like, we forgot Adam Thielen was a thing. And this guy comes out and plays amazing. And they got to get Jefferson more involved. But those two guys are, are going to be good. And then get, if Dalvin Cook can stay healthy, he's going to put, he's going to give you 120 all purpose yards without breaking much of a sweat. They're going to be fine. I did tweet out the same tweet that I said, Bills, Packers, and Super Bowl. I said, I think the Vikings finish in last place. And guess what? They are in last place right now. They're also coincidentally in first place at the moment, <laughs> but that's beside the point. I want to touch on briefly the one thing on the Jamar Chase thing. Mike Florio, pro football talk. He's a guy who kind of throws his name in there and he mixes it up with people. And there was a quote, he he put that quote out there and someone said back to him on Twitter, like, oh yeah, he could play in the XFL because they got that stripe on the ball that he likes. And Florio said at this rate, he's on his way to the XFL. He said that on Twitter. So here's what, here's what happened with Mike Florio. This guy showed up in our worlds like seven, eight years ago when he would get the, he would get like the last uh, news report of Sunday night football broadcast, right? So they would do, um, like the game would be over. Michelle Tafoya, I think, I think it was Michelle, would interview the star player on the on the field. They'd cut it back to Al and Chris, who would briefly, you know, summarize the game. And then they'd say, we'd send it to Mike Florio. And Florio would do like a four hitter. You know, he would say, okay, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick earlier today has a hip injury, expect him to be out six to eight weeks. Um, you know, Jeff Okuda tore his Achilles. He's going to be out. Raheem Mostert got to, you know, and, and he would give us all the good stuff. And then they would swing it back to Alan Chris and they would say, okay, next week we've got this game. Thanks. You know, here's your late local news. And, and Florio would always say, I'll have more on my show tomorrow blah, blah, blah. And I never, I never sought him out. He was all I needed Mike Florio to be was the guy for 45 seconds who came in and gave me some context to what we saw for the entire day. And that was amazing. And then he blew up and he forgot what he's good at. He's good at providing the detail in a vacuum, right? Here's the week. Here's what we got. But as soon as he got a blue check mark by his name, and look, I have one too, but whatever. As soon as he got that, as soon as he I'll got, I'll get one soon enough. You should have one. Um, you have a better Twitter handle than I do. So uh, <laughs> as soon as as soon as he became popular, the guy just started throwing spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks. And like, I love Mike Florio's reports at the end of Sunday Night Football. It's all I need him for. I don't need him for anything else. I don't need him Monday through Saturday. I need 45 seconds where you tell me what are the five biggest storylines that come out of this week. But, you know, he's got a, it's like a pastor who gets a one hour sermon and that's what he's looking for. But the other six days, he's got to do something. And he chooses not to save people's lives. He chooses to be ridiculous on social media. So there we go. That's my, that's my Mike Florio, uh, 
frustration. Very good. Very good. That makes me happy that we talked about that. Yeah, I, I used, just, oh I used to love Florio. I thought he was one of the smartest parts of that whole production. And now I, I don't even know if he does that anymore. I'm not sure what he yeah. How do you like the new Sunday Night Football? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, when the Packer game ended, I went for a walk. And I somehow ended up at Culver's. It spent $44 at Culver's, <laughs> uh, eating my feelings. So True I Wisconsin not, guy there. I was not waiting all day for Sunday night. I didn't see the opening. I didn't see uh, – I mean, once I got – I didn't see the, the Chris Collinsworth slide. Um, once uh, you know, once I, I got the game on, I think it was 7 nothing or something like that. And, I mean, everything about it seemed – uh, to answer your question, I love it because I love Sunday Night Football. It's the best TV show of the week of anything. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a big uh, Ted Lasso guy too. I love that, but like Sunday Night Football is a must see TV. I don't care who's playing. I think it took a dip for me a few years ago when they didn't bring back Dan Patrick. I thought the Football Night America was just phenomenal, and now you're bringing Florio in, you're bringing in Chris Sims, and now Rodney Harrison's gone. So we'll see how Drew Brees does, but. Uh, yeah, a transitional time for Sunday Night Football. I do think Drew Brees is going to be really good. I, yeah. I will also tell you that, um, you know, like if you do watch the NBA draft. Not, I, not in a few years. But. Okay, so, when, so I get frustrated watching the NBA draft because I kind of want to watch a TV show that, um, you know, is, is, is happening in front of me. And then I'm also on Twitter and they're tipping the picks left and right. And so the NBA draft becomes kind of boring to watch. I love watching Tony Rummel because I get smarter about football, but I also find it very frustrating because as soon as a team lines up, he circles Tyree Kill and says, look what's going to happen. And then the next like moments later, it's a 75 yard yeah. touchdown. And if Tony Romo can see it, how come nobody else can? And, um, and so I wonder what kind of guy drew Brees it's going to be like, is Brees going to do that? Um, I have a feeling we're going to see a big shift next year in all the broadcast teams, the way that NBC is going to do things. And I'd imagine that Breeze is going to slide in to work with Al Michaels or, or I mean, we're not sure, or Tariko, we'll see. But um, I will say that I enjoyed watching him be happy that the Saints beat the Packers, but also be pretty professional about it. So it was, it was good. So, of course, we, we got to mention this Saints-Packers thing, and you made the comparison to the last dance. There have already Rogers put the comparison out there. He put that into the universe himself. Uh, but I mean, like the Bulls won six championships. Devontae Adams wasn't he's never won a Super Bowl and he's doing the Pippin thing. I mean, is there is the drama is all this kind of stuff? Is that something you think wore on them yesterday? Uh, so. Let me uh, let let me answer your question by also giving another loser of the week. Okay, please do. Um, I'm so annoyed, and this is has nothing to do with the Packers, right? I was annoyed by this before. I was annoyed by this during Thursday night's game. I'll be annoyed by it until we're done with Week One. I'm so annoyed by the oh, Aaron Rodgers didn't play in the preseason. So he's going to have rust. Okay. Justin Herbert didn't play in the preseason. He completed at least his first six passes. Then where's your narrative there? Right? Like these guys didn't have time to gel together. The Chargers didn't have time to gel together either. So, I mean, you can't have it both ways. And so this whole concept, this whole idea that um, 
oh, if, if a team doesn't play in the preseason, and you'd hear this, all the old you know, Boomer Esiason, I think, was saying it, Breeze was talking about it, all of them were saying this this whole concept of like, oh, that I, I was listening to NFL Network Radio when I was driving yesterday. So I listened to a lot of the color commentaries, uh, color commentators, old players, I don't even know who they all were, all saying, oh, you can't replicate the, this in practice, you need a preseason game, blah, 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 blah. But what about the guys who did just fine, right? Like the Chargers looked really good yesterday. They win. Herbert didn't play in the preseason. You know, would they have scored 50 had he played in the preseason? I mean, what, what's the line of, of you know, where, where is it? I just, you know, and I don't know. Did did Russell Wilson play in the preseason a lot? I, I'm not sure. I actually don't Probably know. Probably not. Yeah. I know Brady played a ton, but Brady is He's a freak. Not, not the guy we should be comparing to, right? right. So um I just to me, I so so the my first answer to your question is I'm just tired of narrative and the narrative that because if if the Packers would have rolled, we wouldn't have said anything about the preseason stuff, right? Um and then we would have said, well, the, the Saints played in the preseason, fine. So um now I also have there was so much issue yesterday of people saying, well, maybe Roger should take a football more seriously. Um, okay. I'm a college professor. If I, if I like mess up a PowerPoint presentation in my first or second class period of the semester, am I all of a sudden going to be criticized because I went to Las Vegas in July? <laughs> should I have been, should I have been working more on my PowerPoints in July as a, like, what if I what if I hit the put the projector on and the projector doesn't start or something like that and it torpedoes my whole class period or I go to use I go to find a YouTube link for an example that I'm using in class only to find out that NBC is copyrighted or whatever and I can't do it all of a sudden now the the fact that I drove to Mississippi in June is that is is that a problem for me now like should I not have done that and so I just I I get so mad when they criticize these athletes and then saying, oh, they should have paid more attention. Rogers was there for every training camp, you know, except, you know, he didn't go to the OTAs. Okay. But the guy's been in the league for 17 years, you know? Um, I just, I, I don't know. I struggle with it. I, I mean, it, it, it feels like solutions in the search of problems, this idea that, oh, we're, this is the answer. And now we just have to wait and find out what the first like, what if the Packers started 7-0 and this year? And then that eighth game, they lose. Oh, well, if they wouldn't have played. It's just, it's tired. It's annoying. The Packers will be fine. They lost in a weird spot in a neutral environment, right, um, to a team that is pretty good. Now, if this if they lose 35-3 to to the Detroit Lions, I will come back on your show next week and I will tell you how terrible Green Bay, the Green Bay Packers are. Um, but it, it's not going to happen, especially with Jeff Okuda now out for the year. Yeah, and it's a horrible division too. It's not. It's not good. It's, yeah. it's not good. So that's. I just this this narrative of of preseason games and all of that stuff, right? Like, I mean, especially when it comes from people who have never done it before, it's just it's it's tiring. It's tiring. Um, can we talk about the 49ers and Lions for a second? Sure. I didn't see any of that game. Go ahead. 49ers are another team that just we kind of forgot that they're good. Like Kyle Shanahan. In a Super Bowl a couple of years ago and kind of wrote them off. Trey Lance is a winner. So here's an interesting stat for you. Who is the first quarterback to the first rookie quarterback this year to throw a touchdown pass? Trey Lance. Also, 
who is the only first round quarterback this year not to start a game? Trey Lance. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if all the other ones started. Jones started. Lawrence started. The Fields start? Fields didn't start. I forgot. Yeah. But Fields played. I think Fields was on, in on the first drive. Yeah, he was in early. I missed the start of that game. I was picking up my sister from the airport uh, who was at the TCU game this weekend. We'll talk college yeah. football in a little bit. And uh, we got a text message from someone in the family. It's like, Fields is in the game. And my sister was getting all excited because she's a Bears fan. Uh, but she doesn't think that Fields should start the season at this yeah. time. Fields did score a touchdown. So this is he a fascinating did. thing. Trey Lance and Justin Fields, first-round quarterbacks, didn't start. Both scored a touchdown. So, um, you know, the Detroit Lions are going to be the Detroit Lions. It does. You can put a new coach in there, a new quarterback in there. This is what the Lions do. They get their heads beat in for the entire game, and then they rally at the end to make it look interesting. And they did that. This was a Matthew Stafford staple. And if you took – I want to be in a fantasy league where we only use stats from the final five minutes of a game. Ooh. The Lions would be the number one pick overall because every year they do – Vikings would be another good one too. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Jared Goff – did his best Matt Stafford impersonation of they're down 18 with three minutes left. And all of a sudden they have the ball with a chance to tie the game and the lions are going to be bad. They're, they're, they're just going to be bad. And, uh, and, and the 49ers, I don't know, are going to put up 41 every game, especially now that their running back situation is uh, with most dirt is out six to eight weeks or something like that. Um, but to, I don't even know that they're, there was a lot of winners and losers in that game. I thought it went the way that I thought it would. And then I guess kudos to the Lions for keep, keeping on the fight. So despite them losing the game, kudos to Jared Goff for perpetuating the ideology that is the Lions of always making every game interesting at the end. <laughs> a uh, Detroit tradition, if you will. Uh, Tennessee Titans. Um, I, 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 I was told they were going to be really good this year. <laughs> And, uh, that's Derek another Henry. really crummy division we have we got nfc north went oh and one everybody across the board afc south has not won out of the division because texans beat the jags but the rest of the teams all lost and then a lot of us are not sure about how good the nfc south's gonna be or the nfc east so it seems like we got some of these loaded divisions like the afc afc north afc west could be solid uh, NFC West won all their games yesterday. It's an interesting balance of power right now. Uh, Derrick Henry is uh, is an interesting one. He's had like 380 plus carries in the last couple of years, and and I mean, you know, I mean, we because we follow sports that Father Time is undefeated. Except actually, no, they're down. They're down in the fourth quarter to Tom Brady. <laughs> but um, but Derrick Henry, I, I mean. 17 carries, 58 yards. Uh, they need more of both. They need more carries from him because he's the way that he gets the offense going. And he needs more yards. And uh, now Kyler Murray was really, really good. You know, he threw for four touchdowns, ran in for another one. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is the best receiver in football. I mean, I love Devontae Adams, but DeAndre Hopkins is the best receiver in football. And now you put him somewhere with a quarterback. And now they've had a full year together. That connection is going to be... That's going to be excellent. It's hard. I had a really tough time leaving one of those teams out of the playoffs. It's hard to believe, but I guess you could have a, all NFC West, all four of those teams making the playoffs this year. 
especially what we saw out of the Cardinals, because I think Cardinals were probably a team that a lot of people, maybe 49ers, those couple teams, it's like, what are they going to be? Can the Cardinals make that next step in this division? Can the can the 49ers return to what they were a season ago? That division, it's going to be that's going to be really fun to watch those later games this season. I'm going to be watching any of those four teams whenever they're on, whenever I get a chance. Yeah, to. it's going to be, and it's so interesting because Jack. I mean, remember ten years ago. I can remember the yeah. Stock and Cardinals playing each other on the Sunday night football in week yeah. 17 where the winner was going to finish seven and nine and make the playoffs. And I mean, it used to be that just the joke it's, it's NFC it's worst. Yeah. It's just crazy how, how these things shift over time. And, you know, the AFC West used to be really bad too. And if the Raiders win tonight, they will have gone four and out. So uh, that was an interesting one. Uh, we touched on Seahawks Colts. Um, one of the big losers of the weekend for me were, again, um, I hinted at this. I, I said the same thing with the, the fact that we were st- stuck watching Vikings Bengals overtime. But the American people lost big because we were robbed of Fitz Magic. Oh, you're a big Fitz Magic guy. I am a huge Ryan Fitzpatrick fan, especially after The Athletic wrote a piece about like his journey through his career moving his family, being a journeyman quarterback. And this finally, finally in Washington, he got a team where he was going to be the guy. He's never been the guy before. He's always been, you know, there's a great line in in the movie, Almost Famous, Director's Cut. I'm the you they get when they can't get you. That's been Ryan Fitzpatrick. He has been either the guy who – you know, in Andy Dalton's role right now of like, hey, we hope you're good, but at the same time, we hope you're bad so you can let the young kid play. He had to do that for so many guys and or or he'd be in a situation where he had to come in and save the day or something like that. I think he got done dirty in Miami by by, you know, and Tua was great, right? Like they have a great relationship, so it's not that. But he he led them to a really good start to the season last year. And then they just pull them like at the bye week because that was their plan all along. And so finally he got a spot where you just knew he could thrive with a good team. They got McLaurin, who's a great receiver Gibson, who's a really good running back. They've got Logan Thomas, who is going to be probably one of the better tight ends in football. You throw the defense with chase young. They've got a really nice team. Uh, and in a division that's not very good. So uh, so nine and eight might be able to win that division. And for him to get hurt in the first week, and now Taylor Heineke is going to be the quarterback. And if the kid does well, then you roll with Taylor Heineke. But I just, I really wanted more Ryan Fitzpatrick than we got. We got about two quarters of it. And it's, it's sad because I, I like the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Who else you got as losers? Um. Do we do Urban Meyer now, or do we wait for a little bit? Um, <laughs> Let's do him now because we got to get to college football. We do have to get to college. Yeah. So, so I, I I read this article that Jason Lockenfora did a report that he did NFL Network's Jason Lockenfora, no CBS Sports Jason Lockenfora, I think, basically saying how Urban Meyer's lost the locker room already because he's too serious. Hmm. Um, he he was like getting irate at losing preseason games. 
I'm going to have an unpopular take. Like I'm here for all of it. Like sign me up to watch every Jaguars game. <laughs> I, I want, I want to see him sitting on a golf cart, chomping on pizza at the end of every game, depressed because they, the team lost. But you know, I also watched last week the video of when they announced who the captains were, and that was amazing. If you, if you haven't seen this yet, I would tell you, you know, all these teams announced who their captains were last week. And the Jaguars did this video where they had everybody in the team room. And so they said, OK, um, we're going to announce our captains. And it was family members of each one of the captains who did a video uh, tribute, you know, basically saying, hey, it was like the brother of one of the guys. Hey, you've been my hero growing up. It means so much that you're the hero of your teammates, blah, blah, blah. It was just really good. And you could tell that it meant a lot to Urban Meyer to be able to do that. Urban Meyer gets criticized a lot because they're like, well, what what worked in college isn't going to work in the pros. I don't I don't necessarily understand that. And Joe Judge got some grief last night because after the Giants lost their game, he had the team back out in the field running wind sprints like after the game. And someone said that's some college level coaching or whatever i understand these guys are professional athletes but you still play for a team and you're still playing a game and like the goal is to get better each and every day and the idea for them to say well urban meyer's team building mechanics aren't working because we don't do that at this level is kind of ridiculous to me it happened to john beeline too and now granted he was problematic and said some really stupid stuff when he was with the cavaliers but this idea that you have to coach pros differently than you coach college feels like feels like lazy thinking to me and looks feels like an escape or a way out. I know I'm unpopular when I say that. No, you know what? You actually surprised me because I'm actually with you on the same page because I look at Urban Meyer. This is a guy who's succeeded every single spot he's coached at, from Utah to Florida to Ohio State. Uh, where was he? Do you remember where he was before Utah, Paul? Well, he's like, like assistant at Notre Dame, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, everywhere he's gone, he's been. They've done a fantastic job. They've they've had a winning tradition. He's done a great job. And I guess you're not on the camera anymore. Oh, there you are. No, right here. Here we go. Oh, big, there we go. Big fan. Big fan. Right here. Urban's way. Excellent. I I, I ran away from the camera to get this book. Because okay. <laughs> I I think he's fantastic. And I think he's he's won everywhere. He's won the right to say, I want to see if it works in the NFL. And for him to show up and for them to say, that's not how we do things around here, you're the Jacksonville friggin' Jaguars. You won <laughs> one game last year. Don't tell me about how we do things here. You don't do things here. You don't win. And so uh, I, I'm here for it. I'm and that's the only thing, Paul, is like people – because I, I had a similar take as you did in the preseason – and I got a text from someone and it was like, oh, yeah, Urban Meyer's team, they're off to a great start. Ha, 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 ha. It was like they had the first pick in the draft last year for a reason. They're not supposed to be good right now. Let's yeah, give this a lost, few years. Yeah, they lost ETN. Now, again, some of the stuff that Urban Meyer is doing, like where he says it's a quarterback competition between Lawrence and Minshew, and then they name Lawrence the quarterback and they jettison Minshew immediately. <laughs> like, it, it, I don't know. I hope, I hope they're successful. I hope that he makes it through the whole year. I hope that the outside forces don't continually beat him down because I, I, I think he's great. I think isn't he's- this similar to like other coaches like Tony Larusa comes back into baseball and it's like, oh, he can't hang it. He can't do it anymore. He's too outdated. And then you got John Gruden coming back after a long time. He hadn't coached for a long time. Heard Edwards. 
a really good head coach going to the college game, like, oh, he can't do it in college. It's like, I feel like, like you're saying, those are kind of lazy thought processes, lazy takes to have. Yeah. I mean, Brad Stevens, I guess people can argue whether or not he was successful at Boston. I think he was just fine. He was, yeah. He's, he's morphed into a different position there now. But this idea that, that the college approach can't work in the pros just feels like it just feels exhausting to me. Um, you know, I, I know we got to get to college in a second. Yes. Let's wrap up a couple things here sure. in the NFL. Uh, I was really excited to watch Jerry Judy this year. I think I like Judy. I like Cortland Sutton. I thought they were going to be an excellent receiver combo, kind of similar to Demarius Thomas and, and uh, Emmanuel Sanders back Ooh, in the day for Denver. Yeah. But the, Judy got hurt. He's out for two months. That's too bad. Um, I don't know what the Dolphins were doing yesterday. They did a thing where – they took two out of the game. They put Jacoby Brissett in. They kept Jacoby in. He, they ended up getting a um, a false or no, a delay a game penalty because they couldn't figure out what was going on. It just felt like it, all these two quarterback packages sometimes feel like you're trying to reinvent the wheel when you don't even have axles on your car. So I don't know what they're doing. Matt there. Nagy, hello. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't really want to get too much into the Rams-Bears game because it kind of went exactly the way that I yeah. thought it was going to go. Uh, the Bears' defense, I thought, would be a little bit better, but that Rams' offense is special. The final game I want to touch on is the Chiefs and Browns. 22-10 um, to 10 at the half, the Browns are up. I felt like, is this it? Is this finally going to be the signature win for the Browns? Is this the moment? They're, they were 120-1 and one in their season openers since they came back to the NFL. And I thought, what better way to, to upend everything about the NFL um, to go into Kansas City and beat the Chiefs in week one. And then Mahomes is who Mahomes is, and Tyreek Hill. And they, they don't run a lot of crazy stuff. They throw to Mahomes, or they throw to Hill, and they throw to Kelsey. And... I, I think to me the Browns are going to be very good this year, and we may see these two teams play again. Um, but that this was this was the game of the week to me. Two juggernauts, you know. The Browns they're not ready yet. They're still little brother, but little brother grows up, and we'll see how tall little brother gets. And I think Cleveland's going to be just fine. Give Similar me England against Buffalo in the playoffs. I would love that game. That that's my fun. AFC title game, man. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> That would be some great fans. And I'll, I'll also add one thing. Dak Prescott looked really good on Thursday night. Yeah, the Thursday night game was exactly, uh, you know, I, I do you think it was a push off at the end? Honestly, you know what my take is, and this is unpopular. The more I watch pass interference, the more I watch of like, okay, guy underthrows the ball and then the guy's got to come back to the ball. And then it, that's a flag somehow because the ball was over underthrown. There's a part of me, and I know you got to make the game safe and your player safety is a priority and all that. I would love to see some uh, lessened, ver- like a looser pass interference thing where you could, they could go and fight for that ball a little more because I'm just getting so sick of these holding and pass interference calls, whether it's offensive, defensive, or just having these conversations all the time about um, do they swallow their whistle in the right spot? I, I, I don't know how you implement it, but I would love to see more no calls, I think is what I'm saying. It was the most NFL thing to have a great football game on opening nights <laughs> come down to, you know, 
the biggest play of the game, you know, arguably one of the bigger plays of the game. Um, and, and he extended a little bit. And I don't know that it was a penalty, but I know that they called one last year that was less of a push-off, and it was a big – I don't remember what game it was in, but a really good game. You just knew when Tampa Bay got the ball back that there <laughs> yeah. was too much time. And the fact and they and and it was almost it was almost embarrassing how easy it was for them to move down the field. And I just I thought to myself as I was watching that last drive by the Buccaneers, I thought to myself, if it's this easy for them, and I thought this when I was watching the Chiefs late in the game too. If it's this easy to move down the field, arguably at a time when the Cowboys should be playing their best defense, if it's this easy, why didn't Tampa Bay score sixty in that game? Because (laughs) it's kind of like soccer. They weren't trying to score every time. And that's the part that frustrates me about the NFL (laughs) is that for my own fantasy team purposes, I want (laughs) you to be trying to score every time. And it's also why I think in the NFL, or excuse me, in college football, which would be a good segue here, we see a lot more points, not because the defenses are any better or worse, but teams are just trying to score all the time. And when Tampa Bay was trying to score, they just marched down the field with little to no resistance. You know, it's why the greatest show on turf was so good because the Rams back in the nineties were like, yeah, we're just going to score all the time. And there's nothing you can do to stop us. You know, and watching some of the games yesterday, you know, second and eight, and we're going to run a one yard scamper up the middle or something like that. Like try to score, just try to score. I don't know. Yeah. Get off my lawn. That's I think right. that's a that's a perfect way to segue into college football, unless you have one any other. No, no okay. I, I'm I'm, uh, I, I'm looking forward to the next 48 hours to find out how everything that happened in Week One matters, and while ignoring the fact that Tampa Bay lost in Week One last year, um, and you know, and then and then I'm looking forward to Week Two when half the teams that lost end up winning their game, <laughs> and. You know, when the the Packers are going to score 40 against the Lions on at at home, the Packers are going to score 40 against the Lions if they want to. If they continue to try to score, they're going to score 40 against the Lions. And then maybe we'll all R-E-L-A-X. <laughs> there we go. All right. Here is your college football rundown for week two of college football season. The Oregon Ducks go across the country. Number 12, Oregon Ducks. They win in the shoe 35-28. They take it right to the number three Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, At least one top 10 team in the Big Ten did win, and the Iowa Hawkeyes went on the road. Big game, big rivalry game, and they looked a lot better than the Iowa State Cyclones. They win that game 27-17. BYU on uh, Saturday night was very impressed with their quarterback, Post first quarterback post Zach Wilson, Jaron Hall, 150 yards passing, 92 yards rushing. They win a big one against a top 25 team in Utah, 26-17. USC was asleep at the wheel once again, as they normally do, and another top top 15 team as well, 14 USC, 15 Texas, both those teams go down. USC loses at home against Stanford, 42-28. Arkansas, big win for their program, 40-21 to as a welcome to the SEC moment. Uh, they, they welcome the Texas Longhorns into the SEC with that w- home win in, uh, was it Fayetteville? Fayetteville? Fayetteville, yeah. Fayetteville, Fayetteville yeah, there we go. Find 100 grand for storming the field. 
<laughs> Good fact right there. And the Miami Hurricanes, uh, they squeak out a win at home against Appalachian State. Of course, the big video, big moment from that game was when two fans helped rescue a cat that was falling from the rafters or the upper deck. They catch it with an American flag. One of the great September 11th unifying moments that we really needed this weekend. Great moment there in that game. Alabama blew out Mercer and former Valparaiso head coach Dave Cicchini. Uh, Val- Alabama wins that game against Mercer, 48-14. Texas A&M, uh, slow start. They were down 7-0 early in the first half. They went out to Boulder to play Colorado Buffaloes, uh, but they drive late down the field. They win that game 10-7. Notre Dame, number eight in the country, another three-point win now. They've uh, had two extremely close games. This one, they just barely escaped, beating Toledo 32-29. Pittsburgh beats Tennessee as uh, really the first moment that I've thought, hey, an ACC team looked kind of good this time. And I was like, oh, they're playing Tennessee. Uh, 41-34. Air Force uh, beats the Navy 23-3. to TCU, uh, comeback drive and a comeback in the second half from Max Duggan, their quarterback, 34-32 over Cal. And the last one I made note of, and obviously there were a hundred other games, but I, we're talking about the notable ones or bringing up the notable ones. The Michigan Wolverines are 2-0. They're ranked now after a very dominant performance against the Washington Huskies at home. 31-10. And that is your recap for week two of college football, Paul. Well, it starts with Oregon and Ohio State. That of was course. the week that was by far the um, – and Ohio State did their level best to make it interesting. Um, I, uh, Oregon is, is another one. Oregon falls into the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and the Seattle Seahawks. They're like, did we forget they were good? Like, they were been the class of the pack, whatever number they are, for a <laughs> long time. And uh, and and CJ Verdell, their running back, played amazing. And uh, and they came in. They went on the road. And 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 what I will say, and as I look at the Alabama Mercer game and the Georgia UAB game and the Oklahoma Western Carolina game and the Clemson South Carolina State game. Kudos to Oregon and Ohio State playing this game. Yeah. Kudos to them because yeah. you're you're putting a lot on the table there. You're risking a lot because if you lose that game, that's tough. Especially if you're Oregon, you lose that game because you, if you lose that game, if you're Oregon, chances are you're not going to get another shot. I mean, you're out of the national championship picture immediately. If you're Ohio State and you lose that game, and because we tend to ignore anything Ohio State does negative, but <laughs> if Ohio State rolls the rest of the year and they win the Big Ten title game, like we'll forget about this loss at home, and they'll make it back to the college football playoff because the same six teams are competing for four spots. And uh, But that what it has done is it means Ohio State has no margin for error. And, and now some teams like the old central Florida or whatever, like they, they don't even get to play, let alone a margin for error. They can go undefeated and still not make it. Ohio state has lost their margin for error. Now they have to, matter of fact, they're going to have to blow out every team they play uh, that they're supposed to. Like when they play Nebraska, I imagine they play Nebraska this year, they'll score 60 in that game because Nebraska is awful. Um, so that was the one that that stood out to me. I think of uh, Notre Dame. 
Well, let's talk. Um, I want to talk uh, Ohio yeah. State here. Yeah. So I think this is extremely interesting. This is the first real bit of adversity that Ryan Day's team has faced. This is their first regular season loss. This is third year coaching the team. Last year was a COVID year, and they only played five regular season games. Yeah. The last couple of years, he's had Urban Meyer's guys. And I understand Ohio State sells itself and you play in the playoff consistently. Like that helps a lot with recruiting. But now we're going to see what Ryan Day's made of over these next, over this year, over next year. These next couple of years, I think, are going to be very interesting because that was a huge win for Oregon, not just for this year, but if you're recruiting, all those potential recruits are watching that game and you see that team go across the country, get up three hours earlier without their best player. Kayvon Thibodeau was going to be a, not a lottery pick, but top five pick in the NFL draft. I mean, this is in Ohio state didn't look good in week one either. I'm just starting to wonder. And I, I, I don't want to say like my, my take isn't that because Ryan, because urban Meyer left Florida Florida fell off. That's what's going to happen with Ohio State. And when I say fell off, I mean there was a significant drop off from being a super team to yeah. being a perennially good team. But at the same time, so I'm not going to expect Ohio State to do that, but I'm also not going to expect Ryan Day to perform at the same level that Urban Meyer did when he was a coach of that team, one of the best college coaches of all time, as we mentioned. So very, very interested to see how the season shakes out for Ohio State. Well, so now they get Tulsa next week, who Tulsa was upset-minded against Notre Dame. Again, one of those situations where Tulsa takes the lead late, and then it's just fascinating how easy it was. That was Toledo, by the way. Oh, it was Toledo. Sorry, never mind. Toledo, (laughs) Tulsa, they're all the same. Yeah, Tulane. Tulane had the big game against Oklahoma. So anyways, so, so... They'll get Tulsa. They'll roll there. They get Akron. They'll roll there. They're at Rutgers. They'll roll that one. They're home against Maryland. They'll win that easy. They go to IU. IU is like the Buffalo Bills, right? Like everyone <laughs> thinks they're going to be amazing, and and they're they're not. Their <laughs> their their next real test is going to be um, a home game against number ten Penn State, uh, October thirtieth. So that's one, two, three, four, five games of frustration that they'll take out on losing Oregon. They get challenged at Penn or against Penn State. Then they go to Nebraska. They will put up as many points as they want to in that game. They host Purdue, which by that point it's basketball season in Purdue, and people, I mean, it's <laughs> irrelevant. Michigan State always seems to play a tough one. And then at Michigan. And Again, Ohio State's got two hard games left against Penn State and at Michigan. Those are the only two games that I realistically I think they won't win by double digits. If because I still think they're a very good football team. And they're a very good football team that that woke up. Now I will also argue that Minnesota might have exposed some things about Ohio State. So maybe I got it wrong. Maybe but history tells me Ohio State will roll for the next five games, and we still won't even really know if they're good or not, until they play Penn State. And that's a home game. And so they should win that one, although this one was a home game too. And then it's they're at Michigan. And they, I mean, they, they own Michigan. They're in Michigan's heads. But I, it, it'll be interesting to find out what I would say the committee does with a team 
like this? Because then let's say they get to the Big Ten title game and maybe it's Wisconsin or maybe it's maybe it's somebody else, um, whoever comes out of the West, I think it is. And uh, Iowa probably. Iowa, I think Iowa. Yeah. And so they, they're not, they're not going to play Iowa this year, so they'll play Iowa. They'll beat Iowa. And my guess is if they win out, this loss to Oregon isn't going to mean a whole lot to them. They'll still make it. They'll still make it if they win out. And, yeah. But but again, I, I think it's fair to, to wonder because they didn't look good against Minnesota early. Then they came back and they won. And uh, and they didn't look good early against Oregon. And they came back and they made it interesting late. And uh, uh, C.J. Shroud, I think it's, it's Shroud. Yep, Shroud. Yeah, thought he played well. I mean, he, he, late. So – Something to build on. They'll 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 bounce back from it. They really will. Well, I want to pat myself on the back because my uh, college football playoff top four are now the top four teams in the country. I had Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Oregon. And Paul, I think if Oregon, if they can go, let's say they lose one game and the rest of the season, their resume is up against Ohio State. Yes, I know it was early in the season, but the head-to-head record is going to be a factor. And the same thing for Georgia with Clemson. So um, I do think it's probably a little more significant of a loss than than you might see it as. But I think it'll be very – I mean, it's not like they lose this game and now the season's over. It's, there's a lot of season left. And I think the good thing so far, though, is we're having a lot of action here. We've had now uh, three or four top ten teams lose already – and this is what we want to see in college football. Absolutely. And just looking quickly at Oregon's schedule, um, I mean, they'll be favored in every game they play for the rest of the way out, except for maybe this game at UCLA on October 23rd. And so, I mean, they got Stony Brook next, and then they get into conference play right away. And home against Arizona at Stanford, home against Cal, these are three games. And now Stanford, Stanford looked really good the other day. I mean, they they destroyed USC. And uh, – and this is the thing that bothers me as I look at the schedule. Oregon, they're not even going to play USC this year. So I, I, I hate unbalanced scheduling because Oregon-USC used to be my favorite game of the year because you'd have this, these great athletic teams playing each other. But, yeah, I think, I mean, you look at the top four and, I mean, Alabama and Georgia are going to have to, are going to, have to tangle with each other eventually, right? SEC a- title game. Yeah, they don't play each other regular season. They're not, they're not scheduled. Now, Alabama will find out how good they are when they play Florida. But, I mean, they have one, two, three, four, five, five ranked teams remaining on their schedule and LSU, which, although not ranked, is a team full of blue-chip prospects. Uh, they're going to be uh, – both Alabama and Georgia are going to be – Excellent. Oklahoma is going to have to focus on beating Texas and the Red River, or excuse me, and uh, in, yeah, the Red River shootout. Yeah, that's right. Um, But I mean, Texas is down, right? Are we sure that Texas is a good team? So I guess it, it, who can get into that? I mean, Clemson lost already to Georgia. So who can crack into the other top four? Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe Ohio State is, uh, because if, if, if Oregon wins out, you can't put, Ohio State in over Oregon, even if Ohio State has better wins. You just can't because Oregon beat Ohio State. So Alabama's not going to lose. Georgia's probably not going to lose until the big until the SEC title game. And Oklahoma will probably be undefeated because Spencer Rattler is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. So and Iowa State stinks. Iowa State, yeah. I thought that was a team that could be a sleeper 
they could win that Big 12. And I was sitting with some Ohio or some Iowa State game fans at the Cubs game on Friday. I was talking with them, and they're so optimistic, so hopeful. They beat Northern Iowa 16-10 in week one and thought, you know what, maybe – you know, maybe it's a an outlier game. Maybe it was a trap game, whatever. Let's see what happens. They host Iowa. Iowa looked like a way better team yeah. the whole game. The whole game, 27-17 on that. Yeah, Iowa, I, mean, I think Iowa's now number five in the country, so I, they could be a potential team that could get in too. And Iowa did it with 106 passing yards and 67 rushing yards. I mean, they, <laughs> does that sound like Iowa Iowa football to you? It should. No, it's it Iowa like defense. Awful, awful offense. But they <laughs> had a couple sacks. They were in the backfield the whole game. They forced some turnovers. at three interceptions in the game, um, and you know they. It's just like it was the ugliest win that I've ever <laughs> seen between a like in a, a top ten matchup. Yeah, it's two just, top ten teams. Yeah. Whereas Oregon and and Ohio State in the week before Georgia and Clemson were slugfests with each other, it was a pillow fight in Iowa, and somehow Iowa wins. Um, we'd be remiss, obviously, if we didn't talk about Notre Dame. Yeah, um, of course. It, I mean, it's just I I don't think highly of teams that aren't in conferences. Um, I struggle with it, you know Notre Dame to me is uh, I think maybe I've said this on your show before, but. Whenever Notre Dame is bad, I cheer for them to be good because college football is better when Notre Dame is good. And whenever they're good, I just want them to lose. <laughs> so it like it's just it's it's a weird conflated uh, relationship I have with them. I don't hate Notre Dame. I just they're just overrated to me and not like the team. The players are fine, but the concept of Notre Dame is overrated to me. This I love the fact that they were about to lose to Toledo and the game was on Peacock premium and you couldn't even watch it on TV. It was just ridiculous. Um, to me, I, uh, I don't know if they're good. They struggled with Florida state who just lost to Jacksonville state, which we'll touch on that game in a second. And, um, and they struggled to win at home against Toledo. Now, that said, Jack Cohn dislocated his finger. They pop it back into place, and he throws the game winner. Like, they build, stat- they build statues for that. And, and so that was amazing. Um, I just – I'm not sold on Notre Dame. I really am not. And that, no, and it's, about, a, it's a yeah, transitional on, year. Sold on Notre Dame, they go 11-0. <laughs> it's a transitional year for them. Jack Cohn looked really good in week one. A lot better than Graham Mertz for Wisconsin, oh. that's for sure. <laughs> But I'm excited to see those two teams play each other in a couple weeks. That'll be a fun one. Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin needs to figure out who they are. Um, you know, they they I don't know. They must have the most offensive linemen in the NFL. And so that's going to catch up to them at some point. And it hasn't for 15 years. They just breed and repeat over and over and over again. Um, but I felt like almost every game I watched yesterday in the NFL had a former Wisconsin offensive lineman in there somewhere. Um, and now, so I think they're down a little bit and, and if, if, if they can't run the ball, they struggle and they had some weird stuff going on with their, with their rotations, their running back rotations against Penn state, which they obviously got it figured out against Eastern Michigan. So we'll see. Um, how about this, Jack? Let's say for instance, you play football for Florida state and you're I'm glad you're bringing this up. I didn't actually forgot to bring this one up in my notes. 
let's say you play football for Florida State and you're going to propose to your girlfriend after the game. Do you think you'll do it while Jacksonville State is celebrating on your field? Because that's what happened. There was a guy for Florida State who who proposed after the game while Jacksonville. There's a great photograph of him down on his knee and Jacksonville State celebrating in the background. To which my favorite tweet was, you can't spell love without taking a big L. (laughs) so okay here's my thing about this i think the question is you plan this thing in advance so he's like we're gonna i'm gonna propose to my girl after we win a game this year against jacksonville state well no, no no i'm thinking he's like he's looking at the schedule he says jacksonville state that's the one we're definitely gonna win that one the problem i have isn't really the proposal in itself because like when you go through that, it's so stressful. It's like you got to actually when he's got like his friends and family all there to take pictures. I don't really know how you just cold feet and not do it like you got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is the fact that the team lost to Jacksonville State. I oh, mean, walk or off. is the oh, problem? I guess the pro- my question is, is the problem that you shouldn't do that, period? Because I, I, I mean, I, I think you should. I think it's a good move. Maybe. Maybe like the Vashil Fernandez, he did the because he did that. Was it senior a, night? Yeah, one yeah. of your senior nights. Yes. Yeah. My favorite, obviously, was when Boise State beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl, and the guy proposed after the game to that. I mean, that was just like all time <laughs> flex. Hey, hey, how was your Saturday night? Oh, it was pretty good. Biggest upset on the greatest play in college football history, and I proposed to my girlfriend. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, pretty, pretty solid, uh, evening of activity there. So, um, speaking of evening of activity, pack 12 after dark USC, uh, I mean, are they ever going to get back to where they were, um, in the, in the years of Leinart and Bush? And I mean, I still remember as I'm looking at this, these games are stacked on top of each other on my scoreboard. I'm looking at, um, USC and Texas and I'm older than you. I'm 41. The 27 the here. The game in 2006, so, I mean, you would have been 12 for that game, I think, right? Yeah. Is, is I mean, the greatest college football game ever played between USC and Texas. I mean, they made a documentary about it that Matthew McConaughey narrated along with Snoop Dogg. So if you want to know how great that football game was, Matthew McConaughey and Snoop Dogg narrated the documentary about it. Um, and to see Texas and USC both lose, it's just a reminder of how cyclical this is. Because forever Alabama was awful, and Clemson, Clemsoning was a was a word to describe blowing a game late, and Georgia was irrelevant, and Florida led the SEC, and so yeah, it feels like we've been doing this forever dance with Alabama and Clemson, but it's a cycle, and to see USC and Texas both lose games they shouldn't have lost, it's just a reminder of how how far some of these teams can fall, and That's a great uh, point, yeah, and and so. I wonder how long and, – and Oregon is a good example of a team that they made it to one of the – I think the first national championship game under the college football yeah. playoff. Yeah, 2014. Yeah. yeah, and and they really haven't been back much at all. And all of a sudden they said, hey, guys, remember us? We're the team with the awesome uniforms, but we're also pretty good at football. So week two was – I know we call it week two. It's actually the third week of college football. Yeah. Well, we call it, we have week zero, week one, week two. Yeah. 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 I, I 
frustrates me that we call it week zero. It makes no sense. <laughs> but um, regardless, uh, a solid week, some good storylines. I'm I'm looking forward, obviously, to uh, to this coming week. Oh yeah, as Indiana gets a chance to go uh, to host Cincinnati in what should be a really good game. Nebraska, if they have a pulse, will play Oklahoma. And we'll see what happens there. <laughs> this Michigan State Miami game could be sneaky. And then, you know, we obviously the biggest game is Alabama and Florida. And, and we also Auburn, got Auburn Penn State is another one of those. Auburn Penn State's kind of like Ohio State and Oregon. Like kudos to those teams for playing the game. Well, I'll get another one. At, another one to watch. Uh, Arizona State making the yeah, trip to BYU and. Hey, give credit to Arizona State for playing a road game against a team that they don't need to play. And BYU loaded up their schedule this year. It's a it's a much more challenging schedule than it was a year ago. Last year they couldn't really budge and move in that thing. They got the they got the game with uh, Coastal Carolina, which is one of my favorite games of in recent memory. It was a lot yeah. of fun to watch. But awesome. Zach Wilson, you know, a lot of people thought tougher schedule this year. Zach Wilson's gone. He's the number two pick in the draft. Jaron Hall, he's not going to be the number two pick in the draft at any point, probably. He doesn't have the same kind of arm as Zach Wilson does. But, man, that guy has – he's got some a great set of wheels. He's very, very quick. He's averaging 10 yards a carry. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's excellent, you know. And, uh, and, you know, here's a guy who is uh, – I mean, he's 6'1", 205 pounds. He's kind of built, not special. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing, there's nothing to him that's he's not six five or anything like that. Um, he's just, just good, and and he's been throwing the ball well. And and also, again, he can he can run. You'd like to see him maybe complete a higher percentage. He's sixty two percent right now, but um, he's going to be excellent. And and to think that he's done it in wins over Arizona and Utah. Like you know, he's this isn't this isn't teams in the swack that he's beating. He's they've they've got two pack twelve wins right off the bat. Yeah, going for a third, and then you're right. You know, their their schedule is interesting because you know they they have USC later on. They have Baylor. They're at Washington State. They have Virginia. They have a loaded schedule. Uh, they play Boise State. So it'll be interesting to see. But this is again, this is one of those teams, Jack. This is why this is why I, I, I cringe at college football. Because BYU could go undefeated with this schedule. They really could. And what is that going to get them? They're not going to make the college football playoff if they go undefeated. And that's a joke to me because this is a good schedule. This is a good, like. What's Paul Oren's dream uh, playoff system? Um, 68 teams. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 68 teams. What do you? We we did it right in college basketball. No, that's a good question, Jack. I I don't know. I more than four, but because four just feels like it's too exclusive, and I don't mean that exclusive as in that means that only the best make it. I mean it, it, you're excluding people. You're excluding teams. You're excluding a BYU who. I'm not going to say they're going to go undefeated, but they could go undefeated. And if they did, I guarantee they don't make the top four. There's just no way. And why shouldn't they make the top four? They've got one, two, well, they got two ranked teams in there. And then they've got some tough road games and they've got USC. And when they scheduled that game against USC, they didn't know that USC was going to be down. 
So you can't blame the, and this is the problem too. You can't, you can't blame the team for playing somebody that you signed a contract years ago. I bet when they signed this contract with Baylor, Baylor was a pretty good team too, you know? And so I, I just, I don't like a world where a team can, can go undefeated. We can joke all you want about Central Florida as to whether or not they can call themselves national champions. But the fact of the matter with Central Florida is that they played the schedule that was in front of them. They beat everybody on their schedule and they don't even get a chance at the next level. And so eight, 12, maybe, but 24, 24. I'll give you this, Paul. How many call it? You, you, you know this, how many division one college basketball programs are there? 353, I think. Yeah. So you have 68 of that number that you just said. The percentage of what that equals to with 130 uh, FBS schools is roughly 24. So it'd be like the equivalent that you have in college basketball. The FCS playoff does 24. It works out yeah. pretty well. It would be so fun. Well, and here's the, problem. Camp. here's the problem is that we've corporatized it too much. And this is the struggle I have with college football in general, right? Um We've corporatized it too much. You've got all these these bowl game directors who make millions of dollars for a game that teams literally have to give away tickets for you to go to. I mean, the bowl the bowl game system is a racket. It's a huge racket that is it's just it's ridiculous. And now we figured out a way to get these season openers and have the Chick Fil A kickoff classic, which is basically <laughs> like another bowl game. It's it's ridiculous to me. You're right. It should be 24 games and. And they complain about, well, what about what about you can't guarantee where the, the games are going to be held and all that stuff. Just or or you get a bowl game like the Peach Bowl, which says, wait a minute, we matter too. We should we 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 should be in the rotation. The national championship game should be held in the same place every year. They do it for baseball, they do it for um, you know, I would argue that they should hold the final four in Indianapolis every year. That's just me. <laughs> but um I mean pick Pick a spot. I don't know where. Maybe the Rose Bowl, or maybe, or, or, or centrally located, Lucas Oil Stadium, or or I don't know where. And it should be in the same spot every year. So then you always know where it's going to be. And the semifinals should be, you know, the Orange Bowl and the Sugar Bowl, or whatever. The quarterfinals be the Fiesta Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the Peach Bowl, and the Gator Bowl, or the Cotton Bowl. I don't know. And it's just, it, the, but it's so frustrating that we've corporatized it so much. I like 24. 24 would be fantastic. Um, you know, so I mean, what is that? What is 24? Does that mean that eight teams get a buy and then 16 yeah. play each other? Yeah. And yeah. you get you get all all 10 conference champs in, the best independent school or two, and then a bunch of at-large bids. It'd be really fun. Yeah. Make it 25. If you finish in the top 25, you're in. Oh, you know, I like that. If you're or make it 26, 25 plus one, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like it should be twenty. The top team, the twenty fifth team gets a plus one. They get a <laughs> twenty five teams, and then a blind draw in a bin of uh, <laughs> like hold a lottery and be like, oh, hey, Akron, guess what? You made it this year. <laughs> it would be awesome. It would be that would great. be great. It'd be like it'd be like rolling through the U.S. Open through the qualifiers, you know. And um, so I just yeah, I, you asked me my dream scenario. 
something other than what we have now. And I, but I don't have an answer. I'll be the first yeah. to say, I don't know how to fix it. I just know that if you go on, if you're BYU and you go undefeated, your season shouldn't end there. And all of a sudden, okay, so now they've gone undefeated. So now they're going to play in a bowl game against Tennessee who 15 of their players have opted out of the bowl game. And it's a glorified practice for Tennessee. And so now then BYU is going to win that game. And then the talking heads will say, well, Tennessee didn't put any of their stars out there. Right. It's just, I don't know. I, if you go undefeated, there ought to be, you ought to be able to keep going until someone beats you. And yeah, uh, look, I'm not going to say that BYU is going to go undefeated. They could lose to Arizona state probably should lose to Arizona state. But if, if they do go undefeated, it, it's a broken system when they can't, go anywhere when they can't go any further finally paul one last thing here i would love for you to pull up the top 25 associated press polls love for you to take a look at the polls and tell me if there's anything you would change about the top 25 right now in college football yeah well notre dame is number 12 in the country and they barely beat a team that lost to jacksonville state and then they barely beat (laughs) toledo Toledo. (laughs) And they're the number 12 team in the country. Granted, they dropped four spots, but I don't know. They, and, and, and then, yeah. So that's, that's an issue to me. Um, Iowa state's 14. Yeah. Virginia tech is 15. Virginia tech. They beat North Carolina. The ACC stinks. Why, why do we have to keep putting all these ACC teams up here? It just bothers me. Um, we're going to talk about North Carolina in a second. Um, Uh, you know, I, I mean, I like that BYU is ranked because I do think yeah. they deserve it because they've played a tough schedule to start. Um, I like that Oregon jumped up as, as high as they did. Yep. I, I, th- I think I like that, Iowa at five as well. Yeah. I mean, Iowa deserves it because they beat Iowa state. I think Iowa state was ranked too high to begin with, but you know, Iowa deserves it. And, and uh, so and Texas A&M fell two spots, and they're still undefeated, but I think they just lost their quarterback. So that's going to be a tough one, too. Yep. Um, I, you know, really what stands out to me is Notre Dame being 12. I know they, I know they dropped four spots, so, so the voters did punish them a little bit. Um, but that one feels like uh, we're ranking the brand and not necessarily the team. Yeah. I do want to make a point about North Carolina because they got, Sam, they got Sam Howell on their team. He is – the starting quarterback on my Jack Vita and friends college fantasy football league. Yes. And uh, we, we play for bragging rights. Yep. We don't play for anything else. Let's be clear about that. Jack Vita show is not trying to introduce gateway drugs of gambling into your lives. <laughs> so first week, I, he's the hyped Heisman guy. Everyone loves Sam Howell. I Number two him. pick, everyone is talking Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell. Those are top two on the draft board. So I picked him very early on. Um, it was a uh, matter of fact, I think uh, if we're looking at the draft results here, I had the number uh, 10 overall pick, I believe it was, and I took Sam Howell. And um, I, he was the fifth, no, the sixth quarterback taken behind Rattler. Matt Coral from Ole Miss, Malik Willis from Liberty, the Clemson quarterback. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. And then Bryce Young, the Alabama quarterback. So I took Sam Howell. I felt really good about it. And he had a terrible, terrible game to start. So last week, he was amazing. And Jack, I lost my fantasy game by a point and a half. 
Oh, who'd you lose to? Uh, Jimmy Jack, I think. Oh, there we go. Is that uh, Jimmy? Is that J, J Money, Money Jack? J, J Money, Money Jack. Jack. That it yeah. would be Jack Keenan, uh, who's going to be joining me on the show sometime. I met him at a Fort Wayne Tin Caps game. He works on local news in Fort Wayne. Great well, guy. I got I got forty eight fantasy points from Sam Howell, and I finished with one hundred and thirty nine. Um, so. <laughs> Um, that's bogus. He got 17 from, he's got Cincinnati's quarterback, Desmond Ritter, who didn't do much because the game was over immediately. Uh, but he got, uh, Calvin Turner, uh, the, uh, wide receiver slash running back from Hawaii scored 30 points. And, uh, and here's where I lost the game, Jack. Yeah. This is how it all comes back full circle to college football. I have Ohio State's defense. Oh no. <laughs> they were not good. They How gave me points? zero points and I zero points. And a half. All they had to do was just sack somebody one time. You know? <laughs> Get a tackle for a loss or something. So you just had me on to talk about NFL and college football for an hour and a half. And yep. I think I lost every fantasy game this week. So do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> Good stuff, P.O. was a blast having you here. Uh, this is a lot of fun. Thank you for stopping by. Uh, how would you like – why don't you give a plug and point people to what you've been working on in your social media? Yeah, so good uh, good time. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at NWI Oren. Um, you're just going to read about a lot of high school football and college basketball stuff. Uh, most recent episode of my podcast, Union Street Hoops, was, uh, I think, a uh, long time – Jack Vita show listener and longtime Valpo associate head coach Luke Gore mm. was on the uh, was on the podcast to break down Valpo's non conference basketball schedule. Um, Going to try to get to the Bahamas and Stanford if I can. Um, gonna have to do a lot more podcasts uh, to to raise money for that. But uh, <laughs> it's been uh, it's been good. So you know we're in that we're in that weird spot now where like the team is back. Valpo basketball is going through open gyms and practices and whatnot and. Um, and and we're we're rolling. It's exciting. We're about two months away from from the less than two months from the start of the college basketball season. And if you, I mean, if you can see all of the uh, the basketballs behind me, I mean that's what I do. So um, and college basketball is the way to go, and uh, I'm excited for that. Yeah, I'm very excited for that as well. Uh, great having you here, Paul. Thank you guys all for tuning in to today's episode of the Jack Vita Show. Make sure you guys subscribe and go to my website jackvita.com. I actually wrote a piece last year about reinventing the college football playoff. If you guys want to check that out and all my interviews and podcasts as well are on the site. You can follow along at Jack Vita Show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, youtube.com slash Jack Vita. And some big episodes coming up later this week, talking with Stephanie LaGrosa Kendrick and Arrestus Destrade. So make sure you guys are all subscribed. And until then, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dance of the lobsters. <laughs>